We back, baby. Y'all know what it is. Welcome to Podcast Day each and every Monday from Hood the Good Podcast. Y'all know what time it is. Today, we got to sit down and chop it up with my man, Robert A. Bell. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Robert is a transformational speaker, mentor, ACCA qualified accountant. He's the author of Blow the Lid Off, Reclaim Your Stolen Creativity, Increase Your Income, and Let Your Light Shine. So y'all need to go check that book out real quick if you just want to skip through the interview. He's also dedicated to helping people who feel stuck in their life journey break away from the norm and find new paths that reveal a true value. So if you need to succeed with creative success, but you're struggling to tap into that, this interview with creative success expert, Robert Bell, will let you fix that and He's going to show you how to be intentional about your creativity. So get your pen and pad out. Y'all know the intro don't want to take up too much on that. So we're going to get right to those gems, Robert Drop. Yeah, yeah, what's going on, world? We back with another From Hood to Good episode. Your boy Ronnie Dax holding it down. And today's interview is another special one lined up for you listeners. We're going to be talking about using creative solutions, tapping into your greatness, and we got author Robert Bell on the line. I'm happy and excited to have him here. Robert Bell is a well-known author, well-known expert, actually, on the subject of creative success. And he's decided to bless us with his presence, <laughs> have a little conversation, and extract that genius. I know how we do. So, Robert, again, thank you for joining us on this interview. Um, how are you feeling today? <laughs> Thank you so much, Ronnie. Um, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good. Just every time I hear myself introduce, it just gives me a sense of gratitude, you know, that um, I'm just like any other person. I just made a decision to follow the path that, you know, I chose the path and followed it. And so, yeah, I'm grateful to be here and for everyone taking the time out to listen you know, to this episode. Mm, yeah, I love it when people are heavy on a humble source. I'm <laughs> pretty much the same way. I think when you yeah, when you start to feel yourself a little too much, uh, you tend to lose, become less grounded, if that if that makes sense, you know. So um, yeah, I just want to dive into creative success. I thought it was a it, it was something interesting. But first, can you um tell us like a little bit about yourself in terms of background, education, if you want to, experience, and all of that things dealing with uh, creativity. Well, no problem. Um, it's always good to know where, we, where we're coming from. And I would say I pretty much had a quote-unquote normal childhood. Um, you know, I was growing up wanting to be Michael Jordan. I grew up, you know, I'm an 80s baby, so I was pretty sure that I could be, you know, Jordan growing up. I was really focused on just being an athlete. Um, I tried it out for a bit, injuries, a little bit overweight, so it didn't quite work out the way I planned it to. And um, yeah, I just found myself then having literally nothing to go for in life. Honestly, you know, you just just at that point where like, all right, I'm just doing what everyone says to do: go to school, try and get a job. No passion in it, no no drive, you know, no discipline. I should say that. And what happened is just a lot of people started speaking into my life and noticing talents and gifts that I had. Um, even though I was on the bench most of the time, people would listen to me during the huddle you know, as if I was the coach, <laughs> you know, and, and I started to notice a pattern in my life that people would listen to my advice and would not just listen to it, but would cherish it, would want to hear from me. And I was just like, what is going on? It was very confusing because I myself was not 
achieving anything in life. I wasn't, you know, no Grammy award winning or NBA finals kind of champion, but people still wanted to listen to me. And I, I say, give that background because that's what, those are the small breadcrumbs we have in our lives that point to something great, but we ignore it. Um, we ignore it because we think for us to do something great in life, we must have some kind of certification, some kind of degree, some kind of positioning. And and, and I'm here to dis- disqualify that, right? The biggest thing you can have is your innate human human creativity. And that will lead you to connect some dots in your life that will help you figure out where you're meant to serve people. It's not just about glorifying yourself, but it's about serving people. When I started to realize I have something to serve, I can help people regardless of what I think of myself. That's when things started to change for me. So um, academically, I studied accounting. I studied finance, not because I had a passion in it again, but I was so good at it. The first time I met it, it made sense. My, My teachers were like, what? Like no one gets this on the first try. This is something that you have been gifted with. Take it, use it to serve people. And I do that till this date. I run a consultancy firm where we offer accounting services. But beyond that, I offer even more. And we'll get into that later. Um, uh, but that's that's really my background. I decided, let me find things in my life that I can use to serve people. Not necessarily things that I'm passionate about. You know, sometimes I know there's this big thing that find what you're passionate about. You never work a day in your life. I, I There's a business misnomer about that because... Sometimes you, you can't find something you're passionate about till you try it. So you got to try it. And when I started serving people, I realized my passion is in serving people. Right. Now, I, I, I love that because I think a lot of struggles that people have is not knowing what they want to do in life. And you, you mentioned that um, you just noticed that you would be in the huddles. They would listen to you like the coach. You had an inclination towards um, numbers. You were just naturally pretty good with that. Were those some of the things that you always noticed? Like, how, how did you kind of pick up on, first, for one, the um, speaking part where you noticed, like, where people would listen to you in the huddles? Did, was that something you always had, or did you just become aware of it? Was it like an aha moment for you and realizing these talents? Um, and the reason I ask is because of I, for one, struggle with finding, like, not like you said, not so much the passionate, but uh, what are you gifted in? So how how were you able to like realize and recognize like numbers and um just having that gift of having people listen to you? How did that come about? All right, that's that's a good question, Ronnie. And I'm gonna answer based on experience. And this doesn't mean that everyone will it will happen this way for everyone. So I'll give you two answers. I'll give you what happened for me, and I'll advise what's the best way to do it. Right. One, the two key things that made me start to pay attention to this. The spotlight started to shine on me and not necessarily like I'm a superstar. Right. Like this was my spotlight. Pay, you know, close attention to that. This wasn't the spotlight. This was my spotlight. So when I'll be in the huddle or when I'll be in my friends, whatever we'll be doing, everyone just started to turn to me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't say anything. And I'll notice that when we get into certain unknown territory, people just tend to start looking for me, even if I don't have the answer. And even if what I say is total crap, they still listen. And they kept coming back and asking questions. I mean, I can, can remember we were playing some a very important game. I think it was to make it to the playoff or something. And, you know, we were stuck and we didn't know how to read the guys. They were, they were really, you know, running us around. And people just looked at me. Coach didn't have any answers and people just looked at me, right? So I started to notice that people looked to me, not necessarily for answers. So at first I thought people were looking for me for answers. So I felt that pressure gosh, I have to know everything. But then I realized people just wanted to hear from me. That started to build up that 
I tend to clarify my thoughts the more I speak about it, right? So even during this interview, you'll notice my thoughts will get even clearer as we go along. So that's how I started to pay attention to it. Then two, you know, direct confirmation. People just started, started to say, when I'm not around, when I'm absent or when I'm silent, people are like, hey, how come you didn't say anything? I was like, because I didn't know what to say. And people would be like, so what does that have to do with anything? You didn't say anything. <laughs> so, you know, so I was right. like, what do you mean? Like, why would I say something and I don't know what the answer is? It's like, yeah, because even if you don't know the answer, you just say something that makes us think. You say something that helps us to get to the answer. You say something or just, just the way you say something, even if coach says it the exact same thing, just the way you say it seems to connect with us. I was like, what? Wow. I was like, all right, cool. So I started to just slowly, and I say slowly, very intentionally, started to accept it within myself that I had something within me. There's something unique about me. And it's not just about the answer. It's just about the way I connected with people. So that's yeah. number one, how I... Uh-huh. Go ahead. No, I got it. Um, I'm just like curious as to were you ever shy? Like, because I know a lot of people tend to be shy, but was were you ever shy? Like, how did you uh get over that? You know? And, but you were gonna, I believe, mention the steps and I, I cut you off. My apologies. I'm sorry, listen. No, no, no. No, that's okay. Let me answer that part and then I'll come to the steps <laughs> because it's a very good question. I, I I can say I recently came over my shyness, probably in the last five years. So I was always shy every single time. I'm not going to lie to you every single time. Now, did that stop me from stepping on the stage? If you want to call it that from, you know, just, just showing up? No, it didn't. I recognize one thing I started to do early is that I used to recognize when I would feel shy, but I wouldn't focus on it. I would not focus on it. How do I get through that? I just not focus on it. I focus on what is the objective I'm trying to achieve here. My teammates are counting on me, right? They see value in me. I am here because I have something to contribute, right? I had to keep telling myself that despite being shy, despite thinking, what are they going to say? You know, someone could say, and of course there were those instances that that's a dumb idea, right? Learning to separate that them saying that that's a dumb idea as opposed to saying you're someone who's dumb or you're someone who doesn't know. Because no one ever told me that as far as I can recall. I've never ever told, no one ever told me that you are dumb, you are stupid or anything like that. But you know, Paying attention to the words we hear is very important. So people say that idea is not a good idea. The idea, not the person who comes up with the idea. So I was always shy. I was always shy. If you were to tell me I'm coming on this podcast, I would have been shaken. I would be shaken and I shake through things. Um, just, just, I don't know. I can't explain it per se, but I just decide not to let it control me, right? Um, so I learned to be vulnerable to myself before being vulnerable before anyone. And I would shake through things. And there are times I've literally spoken in front of people where I've froze, where I've come to the point where I've frozen, that people have to literally lift me back to my seats. I kid you not, wow. that has happened to me. <laughs> I, I, wow. I just, you know, the fear just grappled me. Like my, fist, my fists were clenched. And I can remember that one instance. I had to be carried back to my chair when I sat. I, I wasn't even seated comfortably. I was still as stiff as a log. You know, <laughs> so I have had that experience. But I've not... I've, I've learned not to deny myself doing that experience so that I can tell myself the next time, all right, so what's the worst can happen? It's already happened. Now let's, let's make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, sound, yeah. it sounds so, like um, some, some steps there though, but can you give us a little bit of the, um, the steps? Like the, how, did, how did, you said you didn't get there until about five years ago. So yeah. what were some of the steps you took to get there? Like, just for the youth, the listeners, something they could chew on right there on that one. Right. Step number one is stop trying to Google the answer. 
I stopped trying to Google. Okay, back then I didn't have Google, but I stopped mm-hmm. trying to ask other people for the answer. In, in quote, unquote, let me not say stop, but I learned where to place it. So don't go out. If you're shy in public speaking, doing whatever, don't go out and buy the book, How to Overcome Public Speaking, right? How to Overcome Shyness, <laughs> because mm-hmm. you'll get some good tips, right? You'll get some good tips, but the best lessons are in the experience, right? You need to have right. something to go to. So have the experience first. That's tip number one. Have the experience first. When you go to the book, right, you can relate to it. It becomes, it's becomes personalized to you. Because what I find happened, and I saw a lot of my friends do this, you get the, the best how-to books. Um, back then, we used to use the, the cassettes uh, and listen to those, those audio tapes, mm-hmm. you know, side A and right. side B, you know, motivational mm-hmm. talks. I, I still have some of them, right? And you will try to go and implement what the person is saying, but there's no, you're, not, you're not genuine about it. You're doing it as if you're a robot. And I find with overcoming our deepest fears and our the emotions that hold us back is that there's a story behind it. And if you don't put your story in the solution, then it's never going to work out. So step one is go to the experience. Actually have an experience of it, right? Yes, I know some people say, well, I tried that so many years ago and I'm still traumatized by it. Well, that's step two. Get someone to walk you through the experience. Say, hey, I want you to be next to me. I'm going to be doing this. I want you here, right? Can you you know, just be there? We're just seeing you knowing that I have some kind of support. Then step two is when you go for the experts. Get someone to help you. Get someone to look for you. The biggest investment I've ever made in my life is getting a coach, getting a mentor, getting someone to hold me accountable. Because the person will know when I'm just just over, um, what, what's the word? Overconfident in something or minimizing something, like saying, oh, no, I don't have a problem in speaking in front of people. But they can see it. They can see right through that. You know, am I trying to cover something up? So that, that right. step two is definitely getting an accountability partner. You don't have to get an expensive expert. You know, if you start where you are, get an accountability partner. Even if it's someone who has no clue in that subject matter, it's all right. That's even a better person because they'll be so objective to you. You know, they'll be like, uh, okay. I mean, have mm-hmm. you ever had an instance where you're shy of talking before people and then you, you're speaking in public and people are like, what? You didn't look nervous. What, what are you talking about, Ronnie? What are you talking about? Like that came out so clearly. That came out so clearly we had no issues. So having that kind of accountability is not just about, and accountability here doesn't just mean pointing out when you're wrong, but also celebrating when you're right or when you've done good. Mm. Yeah, this this is awesome. And I mean, one thing I find too is that that fear of um, looking silly or, or just, you know, like fear of embarrassment. And you said sometimes you can even speak well but in your mind you're thinking like oh man this was terrible I, I i sound crazy my words didn't come out right it didn't flow the way i wanted it to but you have people who would hear that same thing and you have all of these thoughts in your mind like oh i messed up and they're like oh man that was awesome that was brilliant that was wonderful and i find that to be the people who are actually good at some of these things they in their mind they're thinking um man, you know, like, like I said, I'm terrible. And, and your book, we're going to talk about the book a little bit later, a little bit more in detail, but you speak about something called imposter syndrome. And I like for you to kind of maybe explain what it is for those who may not know what it is. You can probably explain it in a different manner than I can. And, um, just like some, what are some of the dangers of, of having that? Cause I think it describes more people than we even realized, like I said, a lot of people, they're just not that, they don't have that confidence 
or self-awareness that, you know, I'm actually gifted in this area. So can you talk a little bit about imposter syndrome before we dive into um, blow the lid off? Yeah, great. And, 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 and I love the way the conversation is just flowing there because it goes back, you know, it's just a good segue from what we're talking about. Uh, I mean, imposter syndrome is a very, uh, what kind of word? It's, it's become a popular or, you know, <laughs> you know, people throw the term around, you know, quite loosely um, and it has very deep meanings. Uh, if you go to a dictionary, it, you know, it says imposter syndrome is sort of like a psychological, it's a pattern. That's what most dictionaries will say. It's a pattern. It's a behavior, right? You can't say you have or struggle with imposter syndrome from one occurrence. So imposter syndrome comes in when you have this habit, this pattern where there's this consistency, if you want to call it that, in relating to usually uh, a situation where you feel like a fraud or you feel um, like an imposter, as it says, you feel like you're not living up to a particular standard. Who has created that standard? No one knows. That's the standard probably you've set in yourself or some kind of expectations. It also is when you constantly don't play your abilities, right? You constantly don't play your abilities. For example, think about it. Now, Ronnie, if you're invited to speak, right, to a room full of um, NASA scientists, for example, or astrophysicists, would you feel nervous? (laughs) Let's say you're talking to them about, I mean, would you feel nervous? I I don't think there's anything for you to feel nervous about because you're you're not, you're not an expert there, right? (laughs) You're not an expert. Now, someone will start to feel nervous in terms of, or feel like an imposter because they want to be like that other person. They want to be accepted, right? And that's where imposter syndrome tends to come up because we want to be accepted in a particular group, in a clique. Um, That's where you feel like an imposter, right? Man, if these guys only know I'm not really, I don't really earn that kind of money. Um, I'm just leasing this house or this car is not even mine because you're trying to be someone who you're not. That's where imposter syndrome comes from. So case in point, when it comes to creativity, a lot of us feel like imposters because our misunderstanding of what creativity is. A lot of us think and popular understanding is that creativity is an artistic artistic expression. So being creative means, quote unquote, you have to be a weirdo. You have to play a musical instrument. You have to can paint or some kind of visual art. And, And that is actually a misconception. Right, creativity, as Steve Jobs says, is simply connecting the dots. Creativity, neuroscience tells us, is a natural functioning, functioning of our human brains when processing information. In other words, we all have the ability to be creative. But because of our misunderstanding of what creativity is, we would feel like an imposter labeling ourselves a, as a creative. I'll tell you, when I started now doing podcast interviews and speaking, people say, oh, he's an, the way you introduce me, an expert with all things creative. I would, I would feel like an imposter. Honestly, I would be like, okay, I don't have a PhD in creativity. I didn't even know you can get one. Uh, I found that out later, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, wow. You know, I'm not really... Yeah, yeah, there's, there's masters. There's, there's masters in creativity. You, you can actually get one. <laughs> but, you know, I started thinking like that. It's like, all right, I don't have any accolades. I have no awards or anything. So how can I be an, an expert, right? So obviously, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because you're checking yourself. You're checking yourself to like, hmm, all right. I don't have that. So let me not try to be that. It, it's our response to that. Now, it becomes a syndrome when it becomes a pattern that every single time you're put in a position or you put yourself in a position, you don't feel like you belong, then you're going to have that issue with imposter syndrome, right? You, If you don't feel like you belong, you'll have that imposter syndrome. But before I lose anyone, I'll sum it up like this. 
the greatest threat of imposter syndrome is when we don't feel like we belong to ourselves, right? So no matter what happens, no matter what situation you are in, I know people who have this struggle that no matter where you are, no matter what you achieve, you still feel like an imposter. Here's my example. You can see someone who has won top of their game, whether in sports, in, in business, they won awards, they actually have the awards, they have something to back it up. Right. They might have a bad season, a bad quarter, something bad. And you can actually hear someone like that say, I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm a miserable failure. I, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough, you know, and those kind of terms. And you just wonder, like, think about it. Have you ever seen yeah, that? Yeah, that is like, crazy. After all these successes. actually have awards. Yes. Right, right. After all these successes, you, you, you do that. But it, it just goes to show that successes alone is not sufficient to deal with imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? And that's right. why they say it's a psychological pattern. It's a habit. It's a mindset that you have created. So even though you've achieved all these results, you've gotten that validation, you still feel like you don't belong. And the reason that happens because you've not yet accepted that you belong to you, right? You, you have to belong to you. You have to accept you. You have to be in connection with you. And know This is my style. This is my, my, my pros. These are my cons. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses, right? And that's why every time we see someone great, the media always asks them, what's your method what do you do a night before a game how did you achieve all these results in your company how did you do it it's always how did you you have to find a place for you you can't go copy um, 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 jeff bezos you can't copy someone else you have to develop a method that works for you yeah i, I love that, that you say that because i like to use the um the phrase um I'm, i mean it's even it's kind of even my own thought. I'm, excuse me if I butcher my own thought right now, but I I, I say uh, success is like a hand, but each path is as unique as a fingerprint. So when you kind of look at it from afar, all the hands look the same, but the individual steps that each uh, pattern or each person individual on a journey has to take can be very much different so they could have a, a lot of similarities a lot of same common denominators but the each um individual step could be could like totally vary what works for one person may not work for the other person and um another another funny thing you mentioned um like it's it's a pattern of of the the just a pattern of bad thinking that the imposter syndrome kind of kicks in. It, it, it isn't that one instance, but what do you have to say to the people who, because I've, I've seen this happen before, someone that get like praise or they'll be good at something and not, you know, be too shaken by it, but it'll be that one person that says, oh, your haircut is whack <laughs> or something like that. And <laughs> they'll put all their attention on the negative one the one negative comment, as opposed to all the other influx of, of good vibes and, 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 you know, just, um, just big ups. Like, what do you say to people who kind of get thrown off by that one person that's just like, uh, I think your speaking is trash. I think your podcast is trash. Like we, we, some people call them haters. <laughs> what is, what is your, like your mindset or something when you're dealing with people who just seem to just like, hate on another individual or is that something you even pay attention to <laughs> that's a that's a very good question um I, I must say i struggle with that um being on the receiving end of that uh, but before i go further i i've experienced have taught me how to flip the script think about it what would drive 
you as an individual to constantly, quote unquote, hate on someone, right? So yes, if in your opinion, someone's haircut is whack, why would you keep saying that every day? You know, what's driving you? You know, what, what's leading you to say that every day? And that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of focus. That takes, you know, quote unquote, hate. I don't want to use that word too strongly, but it, it, you know, that's what you call haters. Like, why, why, why would you do that? You know, and I'm not saying it in a judgmental way. I'm just trying to understand the psyche or the mindset of the person who will be doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So over the years, I've learned to realize someone who's doing that, there's something, there's something wrong somewhere. There's something wrong somewhere, right? And that goes back to what I said earlier. If you don't have an accountability partner, that can be a bit difficult to deal with. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie about it. All right? It's not just about being strong, being positive, hearing something like that constantly hitting at you. It's tough. Right. But here's what I say. Here's what I say. What goes on inside of you is much more important than what's going on outside of you. I say that again. What goes on inside of you is much more important than what's going on outside of you. In other words, what are you saying to yourself? What are you listening to inside? How are you feeling inside? Right? As opposed to what is this person saying? What is this hater saying? What are they saying? When you start to focus on that more than what you're focusing, what's going on inside, you amplify that voice. And when you amplify that voice, it's definitely going to overpower you. It will overpower you. Number two, right? These words that you're hearing, someone hating on your podcast and saying, man, this podcast is not good, ETC. Always do the litmus test. This is very mean what someone is saying. Could there be any insight I could get from this? Is there any insight? Why is this person saying that, right? Is it just their personal preference? Are they comparing me to another podcast? Number two, uh, number two part B of that, right, is what is my aim for my podcast? You see, if I tell you my aim for my podcast is to help X, Y, Z do A, B, C, and someone who is expecting me to help JKL do uh, F, whatever, whatever, they're definitely going to say my podcast is whack because it's a mismatch, right? There's a total, absolute mismatch. So why is this person saying it? Is there any insight to it, right? And and that's fine. Like, you're not going to please all the people all the time. Right, it just not, it's just not gonna happen. So the, my mindset with that is trying to understand. All right, does this person have credibility to give me insight? Have they had a podcast? Right, when I mm-hmm. when I quit employment and I started my business, man, it's so sad. My circle of influence, when things started getting rough, of course, which it does at the start when you start a business, right? Mm-hmm. Every single person told me, "Why did you go back to employment? I know where a job opening is." Um, you know, how is it going? Not one person said, oh, I know someone who could help you, right? No one was focusing on the solution. No one was focusing on where I can go for help. Zero, right? And I don't hate them for that. I don't, I'm not upset with the people who told me go back and get a job. They're actually looking out for my interest, right? But I had to size them up and see where are they coming from? Because every single person was telling me that none of them had a business. None of them had ever run a business. And if they had, they had failed in the business. And they were like, well, yeah, I did that. I tried it and it failed. Not one person said, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? You know, um, the advice I was given, look, get X amount of clients, get each client to pay you this amount of money, you'll break even, make it. Man, that's so much easier said than done. <laughs> Getting one client yeah. is already so difficult. Are you telling me I got to repeat that? Ah, it, it was very difficult. So that's when I started working with a coach. And man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Immediately after I worked with a coach, three months after the first session I had with my coach, mm-hmm. I made 
I had run my business for about two years at that point. I had made double what I'd made since I started my business in one month. I'm not joking. And it was so easy. It was so easy because I was clear as what I want to achieve. I was clear what, what it is that I have to offer. I totally changed strategy. I was willing to put in the work. We did that for the first, for those three months. And the month after that, I made, he gave me a challenge. He said, look, the money you're paying me to coach you, you have to be able to make this money back, you know, at least times two by the time we end in this session, because I want you to take the step. And we did it. And I was like, what? Like, that's it? All these people were telling me all these things. You see, if I had focused on them and trying to prove them wrong, I would have missed this opportunity to, to work with someone who could take me to the right place. Right. So that's my mindset with dealing with quote unquote the haters. Right. I first do the litmus test. Is there any merit in this? Does this person qualify to give me any kind of feedback? What can I use this feedback to do? And then focusing on what I need to do, what's going on inside of me. What am I telling myself? What am I listening to? How am I feeling? And where am I going for help? I'll give you two quick tips. Right. That I tell to all entrepreneurs. I, I know some of the audience are you know, just in the business phase and trying to start a business. The best yeah. thing you can do in a business and in your personal life, this is the best, best thing you can do for yourself. The top tips. And if I was to write a book, I was, you know, you know, the book, uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Highly Effective Skills of, you know, so on, so on, those series. I would yeah. say these are the two most highly effective skills for any person or any business owner. Number one, know when to ask for help. And number two, know where to go for help. If you don't have those things figured out right now, you're going to always end up in problem. I know when it's time for me to call in help. I know when it's time for me to call in help. When I'm struggling with my business and my life, I know I got to send out that alarm. I send out that flare. I have people close and around me who I send flares out and say, hey, setting up a flare. I don't have to tell them exactly what's going on. I said, send up a flare. And they come to me. They come to my aid. You know, my boys come and get me. They say, let's go out and get something to eat. Let's do something. You know, let's go, go to the, let's hit the gym because the gym is a place where I distress myself. Right. And I know who to go for help. Right. I don't even have to know where I'm going for help. I don't have to necessarily know the person um, personally. Like, for example, a podcast. I know which when I need help in a particular area of my business or life, I know which podcast to go to. And I'll just start just binging on those podcasts or reading those books. And I'm telling you, every single time it works. Mm, now, now, Robert, I got to ask you, how how do how does a person know? When it's time for help, because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Just simply not just asking for help. That's a challenge in itself. But some people don't even know that they need help. So uh, what are some of the signs to look for to know that, hey, man, it's time that you get a coach, maybe another professional, someone who's the expert, which is what we do here on From Hood to Good, bringing an expert. Um, what are some of the signs that, hey, man, you need some help right now that people need to be more aware of? Well, number one, you need help from the time you start your journey. <laughs> you, you know, there's a misconception up, that you yeah. need help when you're in trouble. You, you don't need help when you're in trouble, right? Um, and it goes back to what I said about, now you got to build a connection. Now, when you are in a fire-prone place, you need to know who the fire captain is, or at least where the fire station is, how to contact them. You develop a relationship at the onset, you can't wait until you have a fire because the most frustrating thing, let's say there's a fire burning at your house, is trying to contact a person. Have you ever been in trouble and you're trying to get someone, but you just have no clue how to get to them, you know? Right. So the, the sign, the sign is when you need help is knowing, putting it in place before you need the help, right? Now here are the signs uh, to help someone know when you need help, right? When you get frustrated, 
when you get frustrated, is a sign for help. Now, what does this frustration mean? Now, it doesn't mean every time you get frustrated, run for help. And help here doesn't necessarily also have to be external. <laughs> I have to say that. Help doesn't necessarily have to be external. You can actually help yourself. That's why you have books called self-help. You understand? <laughs> mm. That's why there are books that are called self-help. So when I'm talking right. about help, yeah. I'm not... <laughs> I got it. I'm not like really, the answer's right yeah. in front of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, so the sign uh, when you need help is when you're being frustrated. And re- usually frustration comes when, you're, when you have a certain number of inputs or you're trying to process and it's not giving you the output you require, right? It's not giving you the output you require. So sometimes you might need help, not necessarily to change the input or the process, but to develop patience, Right. So, I mean, I can't be so specific with the signs because it really depends on the type of help that you need. It could be financial, it could be ETC. What I would say is the signs to look out for or the main sign to look out for uh, in terms of getting help. Okay, let me, let me change that around. Let me clarify my thoughts, right? You can't see the signs of when it is time to get help if you don't have a plan in place. Because why do you need help when, you're, when you've deviated from a plan or you're not achieving a particular outcome or you're not achieving a particular goal, isn't it? That's when you need help the most. So if you don't have a plan, right? And if you don't have a, a way to review that plan, then you wouldn't know when you need help. I do accounting for a lot of people. And let me tell you, if people were doing their books regularly, right? Hiring professionals, a CPA to do their books, you would know when it's time to need help before it was problematic. Because a good CPA should actually do projections and tell you the path in which I see you going. If you continue with this sort of uh, behavior or this sort of management style, you're going to end up in this particular type of problem, right? Mm -hmm. Number two is learning from the the experiences of others, right? Learning from the experiences of others. That's when you know you need help. So by you interviewing me, as the expert, quote unquote, someone listening here could be like, ah, this is when he got into trouble. So I need to look out that when I get to a point like this, I may need help. And that's why if you listen to all the best interviews and podcasts, you see, there's always that turning point. So I'll sum it up again like this, the best time to ask for help or the best warning sign. I don't want to call it a warning sign, but I'll say an indicator. The best indicator when you need help is when you're moving to another level. And I say it like this. There's a quote that I, I came up with just by thinking this through. You know, every next level of growth first requires a deeper level of insight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, my main takeaway real just now was you need help from day one. <laughs> I mean, because I, yeah. I like to keep it simple. That's like how I caught it. And I hope somebody caught something like that. Like have your pan, plan in place. And um, from the beginning, you're going to need some assistance, maybe even some guidance or something like that. So uh, get the help that you need. And so I kind of want to shift. Yeah, can I, can I say, can I, can I simplify the number two for you? So number one is get help from the get. Number two, Absolutely. have a regular method, have a system in place to review your progress. That's when you know you need the help. So simple. Get help from the get-go. If you didn't get help from the get-go, have a system in place where you can review with someone, your management team, if you're in business, uh, your mentor, your coach, and they will help find the points in which you need help. Simple. Yeah, that that reminds me of the research, the RAD model, I like to call it, is research, accountability, 
and development. Mm. You you study with what you're doing, you um execute, and then you go back after execution and say, okay, did did it go as planned? Did, are we still in the trajectory that we set out to from the beginning? So I I think that's um yeah that's on point definitely yeah. And let me interject this one, if you don't mind. Um, Like, I'm a big sports fan, and I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan. And Kobe says, after every game, he watches the game film, whether they won or whether they lost. That's his review mechanism. He watches Mm. game film. So even if they won, he's like, you know what? We might have won tonight, but I think we need help here. We need to be helping on the weak side, or we need to push the ball more, or whatever. That's his mechanism. So find a mechanism that you can help to identify those flags, those warning signs. Yeah, I, I love looking at the greats, man. You said my, you, you know, said my guy Kobe. I like, I love MJ because MJ came first, but Kobe, <laughs> I just hear the work ethic of Kobe was just off the chart. Even Phil Jackson himself said Kobe has Mike in the work ethic department, and to hear another because I, I never knew, like, I still to this day find out some something different about how hard Kobe worked or how much work he put in. So to hear that one, you gotta. I just take it as you gotta go review the tape. <laughs> you know, you gotta go do the research and see see where you at, see where you're going, make sure everything is still in alignment. Um, but Robert, you mentioned something about when you quit your job and just went full blown entrepreneurship, and I, I kind of want to tie in that into um, like when you wrote the book, or or why did you write the book, or um. You know, what was your purpose of writing it? Did that come after you quit? Like, what was going on for you to come out with this um, create using creative solutions for greatness and everything? Like, how did the book, along with your personal life, kind of mesh and birth um, blow the lid off? Great. That's a, that's a great question, Ronnie. Um, so I got frustrated of working um, because... Throughout my entire career, my corporate career, you know, almost, what, 17 years at that point, I, I was very good at getting creative solutions. Um, despite studying accounting, I really worked in an accounting department or finance function. I worked in sales, marketing, uh, IT, you know, procurement. I worked in so many different functions. I was, I was well-rounded. And most of the jobs that I had were usually, I was the first person to occupy that role. Because there was, you know, when you first structure in a department or you get into a new market, things are a bit ambiguous. Like it's not so clear what someone needs to do. And I was usually that person. Like whenever the company needed to do something, you'd be like, look, you can figure this out. We don't even know what to do. You go figure it out. So I was very good at that. Extremely good. But I was very poor with climbing the corporate ladder. I just, I just couldn't play the politics, you know, like I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. Like, I'll tell you, oh, that's a man. dumb idea. <laughs> tell me about <laughs> it, what? I, if I could go back, you definitely for sure. That's where I did it help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really struggled with that. And I got to a point where I was really frustrated. Um, and I was making very good money. I was making very good money, but I was just frustrated. So yes, there's a bit of ego that came in. And I said, you know what? I've been doing this with all these companies, helping them to grow. I think I can do this for myself and I can grow myself. Man, that was one of the most humbling times of my life because I tried it and I was like, oh, this is tough. I was used to just solving the problem, but I wasn't used to building the structures around it, you know, starting from scratch. Like, like I was used to doing that in a team. As much as I was a lone ranger, I still had a team to support me. So I struggled with that. Now that led me to now starting to write. I was like, you know what? I'm sure there are many other people who are struggling with this right? 
both who are employed and those who are starting their business, right? I, I read books and ETC, but there was just something about the, the way they were written seemed like these guys were already too successful, right? Like I hear you, yes, Jeff Bezos, I hear your, your nice um, feedback and what you do, but you know, sometimes it's, it's so long ago that they went through that transition period that they don't spend too much time talking about it. And, and it's hard right. for us to see them like that. You know, imagine hearing a big entrepreneur saying that, yeah, um, like Tony Robbins said, I had $17 to my name. You know, you're like, what? Like this guy has jets, you know? Yeah, like, that's so it's, far it's, removed <laughs> from it. it. It becomes like unrelatable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally unrelatable. And I was like, all right, what is it? What's the one thing? I didn't know what I was going to write about. I wasn't so clear in my mind. And people kept telling me, look, you have so much wisdom. You should write a book. So I, I thought people wanted to hear about my story. And I was like, nah, that doesn't sound, it doesn't seem like you'll add value. So here's what happened. I tried, started to write, wasn't working out too well. I reached out for help. I knew, right, you know what? I need help. Went back to my mentor, got some other coaching guys, writing guys to help me. And they were like, what message do you want to come out? And I realized that the one thing that holds a lot of us back in our work, in our business, even in our relationships, is that we deny our unique abilities. We deny our creativity. At that time, I I wasn't so clear that it was creativity. But what I realized is that creativity, because just like most people, I thought creativity was just artistic. But that one thing, you know, I read this book called that uh, one thing, I can't remember who wrote it, but what, how can I summarize that missing gap into one word? And creativity kept coming out. And creativity here meant connecting the dots in in a unique combination of things. And I realized that was my ability. That's what I was doing when I was employed all those years. I was just being creative. I was finding creative solutions. I was like, aha, I got it. This is what could help propel people. This is what could help people get unstuck because that's, that's the place that I was or where the company was. We were at a stuck point. And the thing that brought us out of that stuck point, and even me in my personal life, was creative solutions. Listening to my inner voice, trying to see things from different angles and different perspectives. So that's why I ended up writing the book and focusing on creative solution uh, solutions. Mm, so um, who should read the book? Who's, who's, who's the book for? Who would you, um, besides the, you know, the obvious people who are, you know, maybe professionals, just someone who really may not be in tune with creativity, or who may want to exercise their creative muscles, uh, what's the uh, intent and audience behind that? Like, who should read the book? Great. Because um, yeah, someone listening might be like, creativity, like, what? I don't see how that can play in my life. So right. let's not lead with that, right? If you, the book is written for someone who's dissatisfied with their life. That's the easiest way I can say it. Now, I want to qualify what dissatisfied means. Dissatisfied means you're not, doesn't mean that you're not successful. It doesn't mean you're not achieving things. It means that you're, dis, you're not satisfied. Like you, you have things going on, you have a family, you have this or whatever you have going on in your life, but there's just this, still this emptiness, right? There's this emptiness that you're like, all right, what, what, what else in life? You know, I've done everything that I'm told to do. I, I went to school, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm a partner in my law firm or whatever it is, you know, I'm starting up. I want to start a business. You're dissatisfied. You, there's something inside of you yearning. You don't know what it is. You have no clue. You just know that this, there's a part of you that needs to be developed. That's who the book is written for. And if you look at the subtitle of the book, uh, the book is called blow the lid off, right? Reclaim your stolen creativity, increase your income and let your light shine. So the book is written for someone who, 
is stuck in their life, in their career, whatever it is, and you want to get to this new level. I'm, I'm talking about a level that you've not imagined before, a level that you've just inside of you that you can't place it, but you want to get there. So that's what the book is written for. It's for someone who just want to get that innate dream come out. Um, I say I'm a hopeless dreamer. So my book is written for people who really want to uh, bring their dreams back to life. You know, when you were younger, you're like, I, I want to do this when I grow up. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a Michael Jordan per se, but, you know, giving you the hope to dream again and the belief that you can dream and you can achieve your dreams because I did that. Right. Right. I, and yeah, man, I encourage you guys check out Blow the Lid Off. Um, and Robert, I got a question. It, it's been kind of itching at me because I, I I was doing my, my due diligence checking you out, man. I, and I love some of your insights. And, and you spoke about monetizing. You um mentioned something that really resonated with me as I listened to it. You uh, mentioned how some people can and it kind of ties into the whole imposter syndrome thing. Some people can do something that comes to them so easily. And being that it comes so easily, they are afraid to put a price on it. Like they may um just enjoy crocheting. Let's just say crocheting simply. And it'll take them quick to put it together and they'll like undermine the price of it. And in one of your other conversations, you mentioned monetizing in a way that was really easy to digest. It spoke about how people can um kind of undervalue their own self-worth when it comes to creativity. Can you do, do you mind speaking about that a little bit? Like monetizing, um, using your creativity to monetize that? Because I think that's real important to a lot of the listeners and a lot of humans in, in general. You know, a lot of people are creative but they just kind of have that fear there, fear, whatever it may be, whether it be fear to um, change this passion or this pastime into a, some sort of income. Can you um, speak about that a little bit, monetizing your, your you know, and, and using your creativity in that aspect? Sure, no problem. Um, you know, when we talk about monetizing something, um, what's the underlying with that is that there's an exchange of value. Now, putting on my accounting and business hat, right? There's an exchange of value. And you're right. Um, I used to love crocheting, actually, by the way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> hey. so someone who, for example, just crochets and it comes so easily, they can turn out the finished product so quickly, right? Because the challenge we have with monetizing that is that we don't see the value. And the reason why we struggle to see the value is because we have grown up in a society and a culture that has pushed hard work so much that if we don't work hard for something, then it's worth nothing. So when something comes easy to us, we have difficulty maybe, you know, receiving, there's this, we've lost this dignity around something that comes easy to us. <clears throat> because anything that comes easy is, is not something that's valuable. Because, I mean, you hear it, you got to get a good, you got to go to school, work hard, get good grades, or you'll end up picking up, you know, you'll be a garbage man or a garbage woman or you, street, you know, sweep the street. So that fear has been in us for so for decades you know for generations yeah. that anything that comes easy right is difficult i mean especially pre the internet age right pre the internet age anything that came easy you know no no it's it's a scam it's not worth it right someone just yeah. starts a youtube channel and gets millions of followers and now starts getting sponsorship and people are like oh he didn't work hard 
man, he worked hard because he took courage. It takes courage to start any kind of project, right? So even if you're expert in crocheting, you don't become an expert overnight, right? The 10,000 hour rule, you have to put in your 10,000 hours. It's just that you have been able to put this in because you have passion driving you. So that's number one. Number two, again, it talks about now the exchange of value, as I said earlier. Monetizing that is recognizing that you have something of value. You have created something of value. And that's what creativity is. And, and when we look at intellectual property, it's about creations of the mind, right? That's why we have intellectual property, because when you create something with your mind, even if it's a physical product or it's a solution, you wrote a book, you wrote, you wrote music, etc. It's a creation of the mind. And even legally, the law recognizes that you have created value. Now, here's the thing. That value is not for everyone. You need to identify who values this. Some people value speed, right? So some people want quick solutions, right? That's why fast food restaurants have, you know, good um, market caps, right? Because mm-hmm. they have learned to identify the people who appreciate speed. Those guys who work in three jobs, who don't have time to go home and cook and ETC. So they market themselves and position their value to those people. Now you can't go marketing fast food to someone who likes fine dining and medium rare steak. He, he would never pay for that, right? It doesn't matter how much you charge them, right? So right. monetizing here is about understanding the value you're creating, the value you're creating and the benefit that's being created for someone. And when that happens, then monetization will happen. I, I put it this way, like what you said, let's simplify it. Have you ever received a service or a good that solved a nagging problem you had and no one asked you for money? You're the one asking, how much is it? Because you're so sure that this thing is worth something. You're ready to pay money. No matter, yeah. Even if you're not the richest person in the world, has someone ever done something to you like, oh my gosh, let, let me do something for you. Let me appreciate you because you have received value. So whatever yeah, that definitely. is that comes... Whatever it is that comes easy to you, just know it's valuable to someone else. My mentor told me very early, what seems easy and simple to you is magical to someone else. Mm. Yeah, I'm loving that. <laughs> so um, <laughs> let me see. So, Robert, is there anything that I have not asked you about using creative solutions to tap into your greatness that you would like to share, cause um, I, I'm not gonna lie. This is a, a little new new to me, a little bit. But is this something that I'm missing that I might have not asked you that you think is really important that needs to be mentioned? Yeah, thanks, Ronnie. I mean, I know the conversation has been <laughs> totally off, quote unquote, off script, and but I love organic conversations. Um, and yes, mm-hmm. I, I am definitely a champion of creativity. I think. What, what I would like to say, the last thing I'll say about creativity that's, that I think is very important is understanding that creativity is something that is personalized, right? There's no one size fits all. There's no classroom um, module you can learn. This is how to be creative. There, there are steps you can learn in how to unleash your creativity or how to harness your creativity. But at the end of it, it's your creativity. It's something that's personal to you. Right? And that can take different form, shape, and size for every individual. Now, I know that might sound difficult, but the thing is with that is that it's a lot of internal work. It's a lot of inside work. What I talked about, like in my book, we all have creative abilities. It's just that some of us, our creativity has been dimmed or there's some shades blocking our creativity. So don't worry too much about how to become more creative. Instead, worry about removing the blocks that stop us from being creative. For example, not getting enough rest. Um, that's that's something that actually 
um, there's a lot of science behind it that shows can improve our creativity, um, avoiding worry and fear and anxiety, right? What we call um, negative emotions. When we focus too much on negative emotions, it blocks our ability from being creative. So creativity is a lot of inner work. And contrary to popular belief, creativity is not just about inspiration. It's also about perspiration. So you can't just say, look, I want to work on my creativity. I'm waiting for the inspiration to come. You actually have to also be disciplined. I have my word count or I have a timer. I set a timer, I'm going to write. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm tired or not, because creativity is about perspiration and inspiration. It's, it's a muscle. You have to work the muscle. So what I want, the last thing I would want to say about creativity and, and using it to increase our success and our impact in life is creativity is personalized work. It's inner work. A lot of the work that happens around creativity is not necessarily how to become creative, right? It's removing the blocks that stop us from being creative. Negative self-talk, um, stress, anxiety. When we have a lot of negative emotions happening, it blocks us from being creative. Number two, creativity, contrary to popular belief, is not just about inspiration. I'm going to do this so that I become inspired or wait till I'm inspired to be creative, right? And, and it's not about that. Creativity is about inspiration as well as it is perspiration. You have to put the work at it. You can't just sit in a boardroom meeting and expect the idea to come to you. You have to learn to generate the ideas by writing down, right? By verbalizing, by taking notes. Because remember creativity, as we said, it's connecting the dots. So you need to start identifying the dots in your life. The way I identified my dots, People wanted to hear from me, whether I had the right answer or not. I have to accept that, that that's a dot. That's a data point in my life, right? The next data point is this. Next data point is that. Now, as much as people liked hearing from me when I was younger, I could not speak well. But you see, that's a skill that I can develop. It doesn't stop me from developing the skill of thinking, right? I just needed to find a way to, to um, communicate that information. And, and by the way, Ronnie, let me say this. I'm dyslexic, so I struggle with writing. I've never spoke well. I used to stump, stammer and all kind of issues. So I, at one point I was like, people want to hear from me, but how can people hear from me if I can't speak well, I can't write well. I never imagined I would be an author. I never imagined I would be a TED speaker. I just never imagined, but those were skills I learned to build. So you have to, in creativity, identify the auxiliary skills you have to build to help unleash that creativity. The better I became at writing, the better I became at speaking, that's when my message even became more impactful. So creativity is inspiration as well as perspiration. Amen. It's that inner work and that outer work. And yeah, get a get a, get a coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get a coach. <laughs> um, thank you, Robert, so much for a great interview. I'm sure all of our creators and our non-creators, our people who suffer from imposter syndrome, and our audience and humans in general. Uh, can learn a lot and remember go check out blow the lid off by robert bell um get some results with your creative success thank you so much for sharing your story and can you just let everyone know how to find you online i'll leave the links up there as well but i just want them to get the audio from straight from the horse's mouth so they can know where to find you <laughs> all right no problem uh, you can find me, the best way to find me is through my website, www.robertabell.com. And from there, you can get all the links to all my social social platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, ETC. And hey, go check out my TED Talk. Um, where I won 
TED's Global Idea Search 2021, and I, I had a TED talk, and it's past one million views. I'd appreciate if you guys could check it out. You know, and yeah, we'll leave the link in the description. So thanks. Absolutely. Again, Robert, thank you for sharing. Thank you all for listening. From hood to good, baby. Check out Blow the Lid Off, and let's keep elevating. Have a great day. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another From Hood to Good banger featuring my man, Robert A. Bell. Do check out Blow the Lid Off. I left the link in the description. And check out Robert's TED Talk. I think it's pretty sweet. My favorite part was when we began talking about that imposter syndrome. You know I suffer from that. And I know a lot of you probably do too. So hit us up on that IG at From Hood to Good. Let us know what you think of the episode. Send us an email. We may have you featured in the show. And that's all I got for y'all this week. Have a blessed one. Continue to love on your loved ones. Love on strangers. Love on people. Just keep spreading that love. It's the Brooklyn way. We out of here. From hood to good. Let's get it.